Hi, guys, and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto. We're here with your, well, I was going to say fortnightly, but this is, you know, it's been a week since our last publication, but we're here to do a bit of a, I guess, a Christmas special. Unfortunately, Tommy is not here with us today. He's feeling a bit under the weather, so wish him all the best. He's actually just messaged me before he's off on his way to get his COVID test, so, you know, doing all the right things. But essentially, we're here just to have a, I guess, a bit of a chat about where we see the markets currently sitting. And I guess what we'd say, our predictions for, you know, the 2022 cycle, I guess you could say, you know, leaving off the year that we've had, it's been quite an event for one for crypto, you know, across the board when we look at, you know, what the markets have done in terms of price. But more so than that, we've seen all the fundamental news coming out of the works. I guess what I would say this chat's more going to be a deep dive into is just the numbers, honestly, just talking about facts. I mean, and a lot of the times we talk about news and what people think or what they say. So we're just going to try and give as unbiased of an opinion as we can. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes it is hard not to be bullish on crypto if you're, you know, as passionate about it as I guess uh, myself and Tommy usually are. But, you know, we're just going to talk for um, stats. I mean, obviously, this is just our opinions. Everyone's got their own. But yeah, really keen to get stuck into this one. So, I mean, couple of key topics just to give everyone, I guess, a bit of an overhead view of where we're going to probably take this sort of conversation. So specifically, we'll talk about Bitcoin, but we're also going to marry, I guess, everything into where we see potential value for the whole ecosystem driving, especially towards a lot of these Web3 applications. So we'll touch on more on that towards the end, but I just want to get stuck in, to be honest, um, and just talk about Bitcoin. So, I mean, Two main topics we're going to start and cover off here about Bitcoin and what we've seen. So, you know, dialing back to, I guess, as much data as we have available for Bitcoin. And, you know, everyone talks about it. It's still an emerging asset class. We don't have that much to go off. But definitely there's two key, I think, fundamental topics when we talk about price predictions and speculation and, you know, looking at things like return on investment and all these other metrics as well. So firstly, we've got the whole theory of lengthening cycles. So you're either a believer or not a believer. So myself personally, I am a believer. So we're going to just have, I guess, a bit of a look into the numbers there and what they're saying. Diminishing returns. So as the asset class emerges and becomes a bit more well-known, you know, the potential return on your investment is going to dwindle. So, you know, there is data backing that up as well. So we'll jump into that as well. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. So number one, lengthening cycles. So what we're talking about there is looking at, you know, historically on a chart, what we'd consider, you know, looking back retrospectively, the amount of time it took to go from the low since the previous high to putting in the new all-time high, right? So what we're seeing for that one is essentially in 2014, the peak that we put in took about 762 days. Now, this does all depend on, I guess, the exchanges, etc. So, we're using Bitstamp for all the data we're talking about today, just so everyone's on the same page on that one, just because they do have, I guess, historically the most data, especially when you look at you know things like TradingView, etc. But 762 days is how long it took to go from the absolute bottom to the absolute top in 2014. And, you know, when we pair that up to the second cycle that we've seen so far in 2018, that took 1,065 days. So, you know, looking at these two data points alone, unfortunately, it's not enough to give us a lot of confidence, but we can just look at what's happened historically, right? So, approximately took about 30% extra time for that cycle high to be put in. So, you know, if we're looking at projecting that out into the future, you know, we can just look at what's happened recently in this particular case. You know, if we look at even if there wasn't any lengthening cycles, essentially, if we drew a line from the most recent all-time low to 1,065 days from there, we actually hit that at the start of November. So, we've already surpassed that 1,065 days that it took to put in the high in 2018. And I know there's probably a lot of people out there that think, well, 
Bitcoin's not been performing that well. There's so much bad news in the markets. You know, there's obviously an argument there for the highs already put in and it's taken the exact same amount of time. But I mean, myself personally, you know, we talked about in our last episode as well, the on-chain metrics and overall, I guess, just market structure still suggests that on a broader picture, there could still be a bit more room to move, even if it is sideways, right? Like we're not talking about a full 80, 90% capitulation like we've seen in previous cycles. So Assuming that, you know, we have those two data points and we can say that it might take a lot longer to get to the new all-time high, the same way it took us from the amount of time it took to put in that high in 2014 to 2018, if we apply that same sort of assumption that there's a 30%, I guess, elongation on this current cycle for Bitcoin specifically, we could be looking at putting in a peak in about 1,384 days. So, not to speak in specifics, but you know, if we just go by that, we're looking at a, a market cycle top potentially in September in 2022. So, you know, I know I said over and over again, this is just speculation and just looking at the data, but you know, you can even sort of manipulate that a little bit and say, look, well, sure, it took 30% extra time last time. What if it takes 40% this time? So that's not something that I would dismiss. So, you know, if it takes 40% more time than it took to put in the previous high, we're now talking 1,490 days. So that throws us into December of 2022. So, you know, for me, I guess we can speculate till the cows come home. You know, it's unlikely that there's going to be that single person that's ever going to pick the absolute top. But I think, I guess for me, what an exercise like this does, it just lets you take a unbiased opinion and look at what could be playing out, right? So if we're looking at creating like a window or corridor of what we're expecting, it kind of gives us the next few months to really just sit and just watch and just pay attention, right? Just see at what continues to play out as each month sort of progresses. So for me, if we're just, you know, going on this assumption, that's personally what I'm looking at. I'm looking to see how the market performs Q1, Q2 next year. And, you know, does this theory play out? Do we still hit that high and it's just coming a lot later than what people are thinking? And I think just alone that ideal as well, that, you know, if majority of people are thinking that the market cycle was going to happen in December this year, uh, usually it's a cruel twist of fate. It never happens and never fulfills, right? Otherwise, you know, if we all, everything we wanted happened, we'd all be millionaires by now with the smartest people running around. But, um, you know, to me, that's just, a, I guess, something to, I guess, be paying attention to at the moment and just that whole lengthening cycle theory, just seeing it play out. I think, you know, we still haven't put in, I guess, since the official day we crossed over that 1,065 days, we still haven't put in a new high since then. So, you know, you could look at it technically, well, it's not really an extended cycle until we put in a new high because that kind of does suggest then, all right, we officially are now in a lengthened cycle. That'll be the next key thing, I think, to see in terms of confirming, you know, if that lengthening cycle theory does or doesn't play out. So, you know, that's one caveat to, I guess, the whole Bitcoin story at the moment and, you know, what might be in store for that. Second, diminishing returns. So, I know everyone's chasing that ROI. You know, they're looking to get the most bang for buck. And it doesn't take a genius to look at a chart of Bitcoin to know that, hey, look, yes, it was at 2 or $3 right now, but now we're looking at moving from 30 to 50K. Like, that's, you know, just under 2X. Like, the, the amount of returns that people are seeing on investments the later they get in, it is diminishing. So, that's not something anyone really has to dress up too much. It's kind of fact and definitely in the numbers. So, I mean, if we just look at the numbers again, so we're going to take the same approach. We're going to look at the time from the cycle bottom to the cycle peak. So, 2014, Ever since the absolute low to the absolute high during that cycle, Bitcoin had a return on investment that was uh, 
just a modest 522x. So not bad. 2018, we saw 128x. So you know, comparing those two data points, like, you know, again, it'd be awesome to have more than just two data points to see if there is a, you know, exponential diminishing return factor to all of this. But even if we are just a bit, I guess, speculative and, you know, this is sometimes the fun of it all, we consider that an 80%, I guess, reduction on the ROI of Bitcoin from peak to peak. So if we follow that same sort of logic, you know, had 128x last time, we could be looking at roughly a 25x, give or take, if we keep that 80% impetus, I guess, on um, the cycle highs. So that being said, that would still put Bitcoin at a price range high of about 700k USD. So me personally, I guess I'm never going to believe it until I see it. And that's not personally where I think price is probably going in any immediate fashion. I mean, if it does, fantastic. But I mean, I'm very much more of a conservative sort of person when it comes to all of this modeling. So, you know, Take what you will with that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a greater than 80% reduction or ROI and, you know, that sort of cycle high is significantly less. And I personally think that is a testament to, I guess, just the way that the crypto markets have evolved over time. So I know a lot of people that sort of do follow the metrics are looking at things like Bitcoin dominance late, you know, lately. When we did see, I guess, those crazy ROIs, you know, dominance was, you know, more than 80% of the market cap It was all in Bitcoin, right? So you know, we're seeing that drop considerably. And, you know, there is an argument of there's a lot of competition now. There's a lot of places for people to want to park their money, speculating, really running into this whole Web3 sort of ecosystem that I'm just going to segue into nicely in a minute. But that's, I guess, where we might, again, see that money taken away from Bitcoin and moved into a lot of these other projects, um, like the layer one, like the layer two solutions. Because they're really what I would consider a building the backbone of the community of cryptocurrency at the moment. So, you know, when we talk about what's hot right now, I know we're constantly talking about the NFT space. We're talking about the gaming universe. They occur on these sort of Web3 ecosystems. So, yeah, I guess without further ado, you know, this really does, I guess, hit on that third topic. So the flow of money, you know, yes, we have diminishing returns on Bitcoin cycle to cycle. If that is true. That doesn't mean crypto is over. It's not pack it up. It's just a case of the narrative changes and evolves. And again, I think that's just another caveat of crypto that excites, I guess, everyone that's sort of even just starting out or being in it for quite a bit of time like myself. So it is the fact that there is continuing to be innovation in the space. There's continuing ways to find a place to park your money and build a diverse portfolio, right? So you know, we only have to look at some of these Web3 ecosystems and the layer one, layer two solutions and how they perform to get an idea of, I guess, where the value could be moving forward. So before I jump into that, I thought I'd also just outline what is Web3 when I talk about Web3. So Web1 essentially was the internet back when it was read-only. Web2 basically created a read and write function on the internet. So great example, Twitter created a tweet, payments, you know, you can send a payment from your bank to your friend or to a merchant. They're the kind of things that I guess Web2 enabled, but some restrictions of what Web2 in those two situations would, I guess, prevent is Twitter can essentially censor an account or censor your tweet, (laughs) good or bad, like let you guys decide. Payments, I mean, they may not decide to allow certain types of payments, for example, or allow for payment systems to go down if there's ever outages due to the centralized nature of how a lot of those payment providers work. And I guess Web3, that third iteration, 
in that sort of situation, a tweet would be uncensorable just because of the fact that the control is decentralized. It's owned by a group of people as opposed to one company or one individual that essentially has all the power. And, you know, in the payment system, you know, payments require no personal data. Payments, you know, theoretically could not be prevented. It just creates, again, like that decentralized nature to everything where there isn't a centralized authority or person saying this can or can't happen. So I guess the biggest thing about Web3 applications is the fact that servers generally can't go down. I mean, it's definitely possible. Like we did see something similar with Solana, uh, I guess, earlier this year where they did have a quite a broad impacting effect on their network. But, you know, there's thousands of computers and something like Ethereum. That's the network, right? So that's their web of computers that is essentially ensuring that that ecosystem stays online, you know, that all those different applications can continue to run, even if there is some sort of outage or natural disaster, these services can keep running. So that's what we mean when we're talking Web3 and I guess the advantages of what that has over the way that the current systems do work. And yeah, you only have to look at the news, you know, it's cancel culture and all that sort of stuff to see where the application for this might be in demand, you know, just from users as well. So But yeah, let's jump into the numbers once again. So, you know, the return on investment on a lot of these Web3 ecosystems has been insane. So just to throw some numbers, this calendar year alone, Terra Luna is up 124x, Matic is up 121x, Solana 113, Phantom 79x, AVAX 34x, Harmony One 56x. So, I mean, these are just a couple of the, you know, the main nets that are currently running as layer one, layer two sort of solutions on their own ecosystems. And for me, I think this is the most exciting thing about, I guess, where we are and where we come from, because for a long time, I guess, you know, everyone talks about Ethereum and, you know, the application of it is perfect. And, but there's the issue of gas fees and et cetera. So, I mean, this kind of just means that obviously it's not just a thought or people complaining, you know, you know, there are people moving and developers moving all of their projects onto these networks because they see the value that they all provide. And, you know, I do encourage everyone to do their own research into a lot of these, you know, Web3 ecosystems to really understand what their value proposition is on one another because they are do vary. So um, like myself personally, you know, AVAX is one that I know I'm quite a fan of their governance system and how that all works. And I think it's amazing just the way that can all be customized to fit any case use really at the end of the day. But the overall value driver for these ecosystems has been DeFi. So, you know, that DeFi 1.0, you know, the DeFi 2.0. So those sort of treasury DAOs and bonds that we've seen take off this year, amazingly. The NFT space. So you've got NFT, you know, digital artists, you've got content creators, you've got gaming assets that are all releasing on specifically on things like the Matic network. It might be the Ethereum network. You know, Solana has been a big one too in that space as well. So they're all coming out with pay to earn or even just celebrating artists themselves. So, you know, this is again what we talk about ecosystems and communities. If the money is in that initial ecosystem, it's going to trickle down to all of those sort of underlying projects as well. And I guess that's where you can start to see the value proposition of crypto shifting. You know, we're going to start to see themes sort of run through considerably what we consider in the past, maybe, all right, well, we're going to see Bitcoin potentially have a run here and then Ethereum might have the run and then et cetera. Whereas now it could be, okay, well, Solana's done, you know, hypothetically quite well last two, three months. There might be the narrative for all those underlying assets in that particular ecosystem to then also flourish as well. And for me, I guess that's definitely my prediction for 2022, 2023. And I think even moving into the decisive future for where all this seems to be going, you know, we may not just see 
again, nuclear winters in crypto, it may just be, again, led by a sector-driven run across these individual Web3 ecosystems where one might be outperforming the other, right? And that's where I guess people are going to always be looking to invest and see a better return on their investment because that's what it is at the end of the day. You know, break it down quite simply. People want to grow the amount of equity they've put in. So that's what I'll be focusing on as well personally moving forward into 2022. And, you know, the way this all ties into, I guess, the fuller picture is the fact that when Bitcoin does go sideways or does stay steady, that's when a lot of these ecosystems do run right. And we've even seen situations where Bitcoin's been in, in a bit of a consolidation period and still some of these assets like Phantom, you know, jumps out to mind and, and Luna as well of most recent time. Luna's putting in new all-time highs right now. So that's people seeing the value in that asset and that ecosystem grow. And it's just purely a testament of it doesn't really matter about opinions at that stage. It's like this is happening right now. So for people to see enough value to keep adding to that ecosystem, keep growing that market cap, you know, that's the market making that decision for us. It, it's not an opinion. It's not a news piece in the Korea Mail. It's just happening, right? So that's what I find most exciting. And once again, if we can see Bitcoin sustain, if we can see Bitcoin push out to that September, December 22 period, we continue to see just everything stay the way it is. It's not unreasonable to think, I guess, a lot of those projects still continue to do what they've been doing until, of course, we have what we would consider the blow-off top events in, in the crypto space. So, you know, that's, I guess, the one thing to be worried about moving into 2022 and especially around potentially that Q3 to Q4 period where, you know, the volatility everyone's expecting this year, well, it might come next year, right? So it's not the fact that it's broken, it's just different, but it's still overall the same picture, I guess, that might be painting out right now. So that's my take on 2022 and what I think crypto, I guess, is moving towards. And, you know, just again, an extension of what we've already seen, in my personal opinion. You know, we've talked about diminishing returns. We've talked about, you know, lengthening cycles and also just talking about how the money is now moving through crypto and I guess how we could potentially see that again continue. So nothing really changing. Everything just kind of just moving forward and, and continuing to grow. But uh, thank you very much for joining me on this little journey into the little deep dive. And, um, yeah, excited again to share our thoughts again with everyone next year. Just again, want to give a big shout out. Unfortunately, Tommy can't be with us today, but I know he's definitely looking forward to joining us all again on the podcast next year. We'll be back at the very start of the year just to hopefully touch on, you know, some news. Maybe something might happen over Christmas. Maybe, maybe not. I guess once again, we'll find out when the time comes and yeah, we'll be here to have a chat about it. I want to give a big shout out to the current competition that we have running at SwiftX, the 12 Days of Christmas. You still have a bit of time left to jump in on that one. Plenty of prizes still to be won. The big key ticket still being that Model 3 Tesla being drawn on Christmas Day. So wouldn't fit in your stocking, but absolutely would be wrapped to win one of those bad boys. Other than that, uh, we're very much looking forward to catching up with everyone in the new year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.